Welcome to episode nine of Role Play Grow, the podcast for tabletop entrepreneurs, creators, and fans. My name is Courtney Stoger of Lighthearted Adventures, and in this podcast, we talk to the creators behind the brands and the tabletop role play gaming space about who they are and how they're turning their passion for gaming into a career. Our ninth guest is Russie of Print Inkling. She is a very talented artist and the co-owner of a screen printing shop that's taken the tabletop Twitter by storm. She and her husband, Elliot, make gorgeous designs and screen print them on t-shirts and blank fabric to make dice bags and masks. We get a little deep in this episode and talk about things like leaving a toxic work situation to pursue your passion full-time, working with your spouse, and we learn some of the ins and outs of balancing local print commissions with creating for an industry that you're passionate about. I do need to give a couple content warnings this time. First, there's definitely language in this episode, which I never mind, but I never know who's listening. And secondly, there is a brief discussion of suicidal ideation about a third of the way into the episode. I'll definitely have the timestamps for that in the show notes and in the chapter markers. You can skip it if you like. Like I said, our conversation gets pretty deep and Russie has some really valuable things to say. Before we jump into today's episode, it's business time. First up, we do have a Patreon for both Lightheart Adventures and Roleplay Grow. It's a pretty cool place, and you've got options on whether you'd like to follow the adventurer track, which will get you maps and adventures, or the merchant track, which gets you some fun bonuses around this podcast. If Patreon's not your jam, you can also support the show by subscribing, sharing with your friends, and leaving a review. Reviews are super important for the show to be able to grow, so if you've been hanging out and you like what you're hearing, please drop me a review on your podcast platform of choice. As a reminder, we have another cool company that we are now affiliates for. Friday Afternoon Tea is an amazing tea shop making delicious blends based off your favorite nerdy characters. I interviewed Friday back in episode six, so if you haven't listened to it, you should definitely check it out. But when you go to the store and then use code LIGHTHEARTADV at checkout and you'll get 10% off your order, get some really delicious beverages, and help support the show. All right, thanks for sticking with me, but let's go chat with Russie. Today, I'm super excited to introduce you all to our lovely guest, Russie, who is the co-owner and artist of Print Inkling. Russie, how are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Glad to hear it. To kick things off, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got into the gaming space? Well, I mean, as you said, my name is Resi. A lot of you know me as Devaru on Twitter and other places in the uh, internet. Um, I got into gaming. Uh, my first exposure to tabletop gaming specifically was when I was about 12. I grew up in rural Alaska, and we have a large uh, summertime community there. And so I actually watched a bunch of uh, Russian 20-year-olds play second edition completely in Russian. <laughs> so that was kind of my opening experience uh, to tabletop gaming. But I kind of drifted in and out until uh, fifth edition came out. Uh, we picked it up here with our local group, formed a local group for it. Uh, and then we drifted off into other systems. Elliot's been a lifelong Palladium fan, riffs, things like that. So, you know, we tend to spread out all over the map gaming-wise. 
Awesome. What are you playing these days? Currently, uh, we're in a Friday night game that's uh, Cyberpunk Red with Ghost of Red Mountain and uh, Wilbo from What's Up Wilbo on Twitch. And on Sunday mornings, we've got a group of friends together to play a game called The Mecha Hack. I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, So The Mecha Hack is a rules light system um, where you build mechas and you play, you pay big stompy robots and you break shit. (laughs) That's always a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, cool. So you've been playing D&D and other games kind of off and on all your life, it sounds like. Let's talk a little bit about what Print Inkling is. So Inkling began wrong. Like we have not done anything the way you're supposed to do it. But Inkling began as kind of this idea. We wanted to be able to do something creative. We wanted it to be something functional. And we wanted it to be something that we could replicate rather easily. And screen printing fits into that Venn diagram. We had kind of dabbled with it in the beginning. Um, I had wanted to make some hoodies for a charity event and paint them by hand. And that was a disaster. And they ended up in the burn pile. But fate just kind of aligned and we ended up lucking into some equipment. And then we said we had a company and then we did. (laughs) I'm sure there are a few more steps than that. (laughs) You would hope. (laughs) It was kind of a blur, to be honest. Honestly, it would be so nice to just be able to snap your fingers and be like, boom, successful business. Successful business. I don't remember saying that part at all. (laughs) Um, But we were definitely, I mean, we've always kind of been punch above your weight kind of people. If we're going to do something, we do it bigly, if not big. And, uh, you know, you kind of just got to go out with your heart. And that's how we've kind of led this whole thing. And it's been a very weird, serendipitous uh, motion ever forward. So. I can't complain. Well, can you tell us a little bit about what it is that y'all are making these days? And maybe then go into a little bit of the journey about how you went from the beginning to what all you're doing now. Okay. Screen printing itself, these days with like uh, Threadless and Teespring and things like that, you're accustomed to what's called print on demand. And it works pretty much like your printer at home, like a color printer does. Our method is the old school way of doing things. We create stencils you know, pass the ink through the stencils onto the garment and we heat cure it. We started out doing shirts for commissions, uh, local sports events and things like that. And we started, we wanted to get more into the gaming space and things like that. And we just didn't know how, because there's such a barrier to entry in the convention world. A friend of ours actually had a booth going into PAX South 2019. And they were like, hey, do you want to partner with us? And I'm like, that's like a month, bro. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> okay. So we made a few designs and we went and we had a great time. And uh, we've just been growing ever since. We did, I think we had nine shirt designs and three dice bags and two maps to begin Pack South. And since we've grown eh, over double. That's awesome. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a slow process, um, unfortunately. So while we don't really have a day job, we have the local prints and things like that, which, I mean, we're immensely grateful for, but it definitely, I just want to sit here and draw stuff with the 20s on it, but someone's got to print these soccer shirts, you know? <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit about what it is that you're doing for the local business. That's kind of all over the map. Um, we print for boutiques. We print for schools. It's I do a lot of uh, on-demand art commission. A lot of it's pretty simple, but I don't have any kind of formal education, so it's all what I've pieced together over the years. So, but people seem happy with what we do and we make it work and we're starting to build our reputation here pretty well. 
Do you have a storefront or do you do everything virtually? We do not. We do pretty much everything virtually. We have on occasion done a couple of things through the local boutiques here, but mostly they just come to us with things they want and we provide them. Every once in a while, like this is a this is a bit of a retirement community where we live, so they're not quite into the you know, Untitled Goose Game t-shirts and whatnot. But, you know, we've done a lot of holiday things for them and local event things. So, you know, our designs are getting out there. Okay, so it sounds like the tabletop gaming type of merch started in 2019, correct? Yes. Okay. How long before that was it that you started experimenting with the equipment that you say you lucked into? <laughs> I literally lucked is the word, though. Um <laughs> Well, tell, what's the story? <laughs> so, okay, well, we um, we had just been kind of considering how to get started with screen printing. So we had bought a wooden DIY kit, and it was literally CNC'd wood and boat parts. And Elliot assembled it. It took forever. And we had gotten a few okay prints kind of out of it, but we knew we were pretty limited by the equipment we had. We were working overnights at Walmart at the time, and I happened to see an ad go up on April Fool's Day. And it was a press for an obscenely low amount of money. So I figured it was just a joke or, you know, someone trolling, whatever. And then it happened to be about an hour and a half from us. And I was like, oh, man. And I just kept kind of watching it. And I realized he was getting offers from people in New York to come drive down and get it. And so I called him up and he's like, yeah, if you can come up tonight, you can come grab it. And that's how I got started in screen printing. That's amazing. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) We drove out way into the woods deep in Arkansas. Like, we're so deep into the woods that banjos got quiet again. <laughs> like it, and he's a wonderful guy. He does amazing stuff. He's got a whole little uh, a foundry out there, and he was just getting rid of the equipment to upgrade. We got it for a song, and Elliot spent longer than either of us would care to admit figuring out how to fix it. It's older than us. It'll outlive us, but I couldn't ask for anything better. That is a really cool story. You got this press, and then once you got it fixed up and started figuring out how it worked. What was your process for, you know, getting your first design out there? The first thing we ever did, I actually promised we would do when we had the wooden boat press. And then I figured out that we couldn't do it, but I had said that we could do it. So we were trying to figure something out. And that's when that press just kind of floated into our life. So realistically, it just happened to be through a fluke that we'd been experimenting with and someone was like, Hey, I'd rather keep it local. And I'm like, okay, we can totally do it. And then it lucked out that we could. So we did that. And that lady actually got us probably five or six more jobs. And one of those was with someone who ran a boutique here in town. Eventually they left town, but took us with them in that sense. And word got around. And then we had, we had designs in four different shops, I think. So. Oh, wow. It actually happened kind of, again, luckily. I'm sure we've done none of this correctly. <laughs> you know, one thing I've learned by interviewing a whole bunch of people about how to start your business, everyone feels that way. <laughs> it Honestly, it's there's so much that you're told to do. This is what must be done and you must do this. And if you're going to be real or serious, you have to do that. And it's all bullshit. And it's all, especially because it's all for neurotypical people. And all of that goes out the window. In any small business, I would think you have to figure out whatever your lane is. And it's not going to be obvious. Sometimes it involves Muppet flailing. And that's okay. Because I think the key to being successful in anything you do is being authentic. 
no, like that's, that's really great. And I think it, like, it's really important to realize that, you know, sure. There's all the great advice out there, but that doesn't mean that it's going to work for you or me. You have to figure everything out. Like what works best for you? Exactly. Common advice on everything just didn't work for us. I mean, we're both big researchers. And so we just would deep dive into things and research and research and research and process of elimination. And finally, you know, get the guts up to try something because we were and continue to be not insanely financially. We're not independently wealthy. So you have to make these decisions, you know, considered. And, you know, we make the best decisions we can to move forward. And it usually pans out. There is no right way. If I'd have listened to the standard advice, we'd have been done a long time ago. That was their path. You know, we've had great advice from a lot of people and none of it ended up meaning shit. So what are some things that you found have helped you to grow your business? Not being afraid to take up space. And I mean, I'm almost hyperventilating doing a podcast, you know, so I'm, I'm not very good at, I'm a behind the scenes character, but understanding that you have to get your words out. You have to keep showing people, this is what I do. This is what I do. Look at me. I'm obnoxious. That's what people want to see. And to me, I, I'm, I'm such a reclusive kind of person that it's hard for me to put myself out there like that. We just ran a, a little thread on Twitter that was, it started out as kind of just a little goofy joke. And then it ended up being thread con. And we had, you know, a bunch of people making booths and everyone was talking and it was just a great old time. And I mean, it's just this tiny little thing, but a bunch of those people met because of that. And two years ago, I would have never done it, you know? So it, it's a good thing to always keep pushing just past your comfort zone and then rest and then do it again and just keep expanding and keep growing. That thread was really, really special. I definitely... <laughs> went through multiple times every day just to be like, okay, who else is here? Like who, who haven't I seen yet? <laughs> it was really, really neat. I met a ton of people. Um, I, I assumed when I, when I posted that it would kind of get, you know, maybe 12, 15 people posting some stuff, you know, Hey, haha, Yeah. I miss conventions too. And then everyone was like, no, we're embracing this. We need a con. And I'm like, all right. And then three days later, I finally made it through all my notifications. <laughs> I bet there were so many. <laughs> It was, it was exciting, but you know what? It's it, like I said, it's one of those things that two years ago I would have never thought to do. And now it's like, it's okay to take up a little space. It's okay to push your comfort zone. The first convention we ever did, I like, we came home and I was a burrito for three days. I just sat here in a blanket. Like, what did we just do? <laughs> and you know, I mean, it was packed South, which is, I think 20, 30,000 people, which you know is a decent con, but for me who would rather just live in my bat cave forever. You know, I mean, that was a really big anxiety inducing thing. The best advice I could give to anyone would be to just keep pushing a little bit above your weight. That's really good advice. And frankly, like PAX is not a small con. That is impressive for your first convention as a vendor. It's funny because in the PAX circles, everyone's like, oh, PAX South is the baby con. And I mean, it kind of <laughs> is, but 30,000 people is still a lot of people, guys. So, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's definitely like, I kind of just, I get the heebie-jeebies even thinking of doing uh, like West or East. Um, but we're really, if vaccination rates go well, we're really, really hoping to make it to Unplug this year. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what preparing for that first convention was like. <laughs> oh, man. Our shop is now slightly insulated, but it wasn't at the time. So we were out there at 14 degrees printing shirts and trying to make sure they got hot enough to cure. 
Um, we didn't really have that much forewarning. So it was very much like, okay, make the designs, do it. All of our first designs, I drew on one of those cheap little $30 tablets. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was just, it probably took eight times as long. But those first designs came from very, very humble origins. But it was like, if you don't have the materials, you make it work anyway. So it was basically a month of chaos. Uh, we learned a lot about, you know, where to source things and how to, you know, because you can't just go with one shirt. You know, you got to have an inventory. So how many of those do you have? It, who put me in charge? It was ridiculous. But I mean, we just kind of pieced it together. Um, honestly, as much of a help hit as it has become, Facebook groups were invaluable to us in the early days. There's so much wisdom out there if you can sort through it. And we relied heavily on that. A lot of people reached out to help us. Here's how you get this technique done. Here's how you do this thing that you didn't think of. Are you thinking of this? And yeah, panic attack, but we thought of it. We did it. And it all worked out. If you remember, how much inventory did you wind up taking with you? You know, I can't remember numbers offhand. That's something I should have thought <laughs> no, of. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember offhand. I know. Oh, man. We probably had... Yeah, you know what? I couldn't even give you numbers and do accurate. Uh, we took so much more the next year. We had my brother packed into our car. Like he couldn't even move because we had all of our stuff. And, you know, because you have to carry your whole booth and everything with you, too. So we just had him crammed in there. And it's like, good luck. You can't get out to San Antonio now. <laughs> so enjoy your ride. Doing something like that is such an insane experience because you have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, so the first the first packs we did, I'm just like, no one's going to like our stuff. Oh my God, they're not even going to buy my friend's stuff because my stuff's so bad. I'm the worst. And then people started buying it. And I was like, maybe I'm not so bad. <laughs> I bet that first sale was just like, okay. It was really, honestly, it was really exciting for me because the very first sale at Pack South, we have a dice bag on our website uh, called Birch Forest, and it's a black and white monochromatic print. And it's uh, the first dice bag that Elliot ever designed. And that was our very first sale. We love doing shirts, um, but there's something special about doing the dice bags because it started, a shirt starts as a shirt, a dice bag starts as blank cloth and we cut it and sew it. And like, so it's, a, we have a little bit more final say in what happens, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So watching something like that kind of spawn from blank cloth to finish object and then watching it be validated first thing, it was magic. I loved it. Were you able to go to any other conventions after that? So we were starting to plan up quite a, you know, a bit of a roster. That was in January of 2019. In April of 2019, Elliot's dad died. And we ran back to Alaska for a while. And, you know, we're just kind of there for that. We landed back here in Texas and three days later had a convention down in San, uh, Round Rock. So about five hours from here. And so we got home and whipped up another design and printed it and took our inventory and some extra stuff and went down. And we did probably, we did a lot of really small regional cons that year. Uh, let's see. Then we did, no, so Elliot's dad passed away in April. And by August, we said, fuck it and left our jobs. And that they tell you not to do that. But we had both just gotten to the point that like Elliot's dad was this master craftsman. He was this... He uh, was a diorama modeler, like, you know, uh, toy trains and things like that. And he had made these incredible ornate scenes. And it took him so long to get to that point in his life. And when he passed away, he wasn't quite finished with what he wanted to do. And I think we both kind of took that as I'm not going to wait. 
you know, I can't pretend that I can be happy until 55 or 65 and then try to make it on what's left. And so we do what naturally people do and we leapt off and left our jobs. But I mean, it's worked so far. Yeah. I was just having a conversation yesterday about how, you know, we, we get one life to live and do you really want to be sitting in the same office job for the rest of your life until you might get a couple years of retirement if you're lucky? Exactly. I mean, without getting into the, the political aspect of it, we're trying to survive in a system we weren't built for. Humans, I don't think we're meant to do the, the kind of things we're being asked to do now. And so I think to kind of mitigate that the best you can is you have to inject passion into it. Yeah, we're, we're not meant to be drones for other people, I don't think. And I just, I was getting to the point at our job that I was having suicidal ideation pretty much every day. Yeah, that's time to leave. That's it's time to go. Like, especially because it's not, you know, the money was not worth that, you know. So we just, we leapt forward and it was the scariest thing I've ever done. But I've also, building something with Elliot, all my life it's always been him. You know, like ever since we were kids and there's no one I trust more and there's nothing, there's nothing I'd be more likely to succeed at. So like the two of us, we put our heads down and we just get to work. And every time it gets scary, something else just comes. I don't know if that's karma. I don't know if that's just circumstance, but either way, I'm still here. Like I said earlier, I've got nothing to complain about. That's a really powerful story. And thank you. Like, (laughs) honestly, thank you for sharing that. So, yeah, I would just, I would love to know kind of what that was like. You said, fuck it, you left your jobs. You're going to do this full time. I'm sure that had to have been scary for at least the beginning. Maybe it still is. I don't know. I hope not. I mean, ultimately, it really comes down to that you choose your own hard, right? Mm -hmm. Like, no matter what you do, everything's going to be hard forever. (laughs) Like, I guess it's just the way I looked at it. So I'm like, what is so different about these two things? And what was hard for me in, honestly, the shit tier corporate environment that we were in, working retail, working things like that, I I couldn't control, I couldn't position myself to be effective because I had to listen to what someone else thought was effective without knowing who I was or what I was capable of. Elliot's the kind of person that he he can focus in and get, when you get him on the right track, he just goes. I am not. I am chaos brain. And so between the two of us, we can make a system that works. But having to work for someone else, neither of us, neither of us could handle, you know, working for someone else. And I think especially in an environment where you're not respected, it just retails awful. I'd never again. Yeah, fair enough. Tell me a little bit about what it's like to work with your partner. Well, so Elliot and I have actually been working together at different jobs since 2009. So this is what we know. We uh, ran a grocery store together in Alaska. And then we worked down here at Voldemort for, you know, several years together, like on the same shift and everything. We've literally haven't been apart for more than a dentist appointment in like 10 years. And some might say that's codependent. And okay, I'm valid and open to criticism, but it just works for us. There's no one who gets me like that. There's no one who cares like that. And he's kind of my best friend. So I haven't found the downside yet. Okay, that's amazing. And you are very, <laughs> like, that's such a great relationship. Like, that's that's good. <laughs> so, I mean, don't let me 
don't let me try to pull any punches here either. It's work, but not the marriage part of it. Mm-hmm. Like my marriage is the one thing I know. Like I've got that. That's that's what I've got. But the learning how to work together, we're both very not a type person or type A personalities, but very player one personalities. We both have places that we know we need to be for the best results at this time. And sometimes it's the same spot. And so there's conflict there. Like we don't always know how to plan to best utilize each other's assets, but we both know that we're capable. And so luckily that's really, there's, there's always some give and take and trying to figure out workflow. We're still, oh God, we're still constantly adjusting how we do things, you know, how we handle things. But I think it takes working with your spouse takes a willingness to put understanding them over your pride because people can't aren't psychic. Like we can't communicate you know, through mental images. If we could, we'd solve a lot of problems, but it really just takes your egos at the fucking door because it doesn't matter. This person cares about you more than anything in the world and they only want your success. And now you're both working towards success together. Don't let ego or pride stop it. And that works like 90% of the time. (laughs) (laughs) The other 10%, it, you know, but, but those are still pretty good odds. But I think like we've had so many people over the the course of us working together go, oh, I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand working with my husband. I'm like, yeah, why'd you choose him? <laughs> and I mean, and of course that's shitty, right? There's tons of reasons why people, their work dynamics wouldn't work together. I'm not actually criticizing that. But it just seems weird to me that people are like, that's amazing. You guys are weird. And I'm like, we're best friends. We'd be hanging out all the time anyway. <laughs> Might as well make something out of it. Honestly, yeah, as the one who also works with my spouse, I tend to feel the same way. So it's really weird how people get about it. Like they're almost offended. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, that's just awful. I'm like, okay, doors over there. It's like, I like my marriage just fine. Thanks. And that, again, that's not to say that people who couldn't work together, like there's nothing wrong with that either. It, it's just one of those things that I guess it takes people by surprise. Yeah. How do you split up the work between you two? Um, so Elliot's definitely a lot more of the physical aspect of it. Like he's out there right now cleaning screens like a trooper, which is a chemical heavy, gross job. He does the vast majority of the physical printing, you know, things like that, the alignment. He's really good at dialing in things. I'm much more, believe it or not, dealing with people because I can do it mostly over email. And I do a lot of the art. He does quite a bit of it too. Honestly, what needs to get done... One of us eventually does. It probably isn't the most efficient system, but you know, we, we pretty much talk over everything too. Like I don't just go, oh hey, we're committed to this thing now. You know, we check it out beforehand. Okay, so I kind of want to go back to something that you brought up earlier that I'm just kind of curious about. Um, where you were talking about how you're doing the old school printing, and then you mentioned print on demand services, which I feel like are the ones that people are more familiar yes. with these days, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when someone is debating between using someone local like you guys or using a print-on-demand service, like what would you say is really the biggest benefit of using a local company other than supporting awesome people? So, yes, obviously, you know, supporting your community and whether that's local, local like locality or local to your like in the TTRPG community, we've printed for several companies you know, across the country. I think part of it is that you genuinely get someone who cares about what you do. They care about the success of your product and they want, like to me, we've had a couple of different companies come to us and be, you know, hey, can we print some things with you? And to me, you have chosen me to represent 
your dreams. And I, I know that's, that's over the top, but realistically, everything that I'm putting forward has to speak for you. And so, of course, I'm going to take that seriously. Um, we did uh, Parlor Games does a fantastic game called Retroscape. And we did a design and a T-shirt for them. It was such an odd. He was like, go wild, make me some art, do something cool. And I, you know, so after I got over my dumbfounded shock, we, we got to work. And it was incredible to be able to put something out into the world that was bigger than what we are. And you know, Threadless doesn't care about that. Teespring, those options are great for people. And especially uh, when you're a young designer just starting out or, you know, you, like, you have limited funding. The disadvantage with us is that you'd have to hold inventory. For someone like that, it's print on demand. But if you can afford to do the inventory, you keep more of your money. Like I think Teespring only pays out a couple dollars, whereas like prints with us can get down to $6 a piece. So if you're selling that for 20, like it can be much more, but you have to be able to get to that investment. And I'm definitely not knocking on people for taking the print on demand route. It is a great, it has made everything so accessible for people and that's wonderful. But when you're ready to take that step, that's when we're there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you say, you know, since you have that more like hands-on ability, do you ever have designs or people wanting a design that wraps around the side over a seam yes, of their shirt? That's we have been able to pull off something like it, but we it's not something that we offer. Like experimentally, we can do all sorts of things, but like the all over printing like you're talking about, that's usually actually um, a technique called cut and sew. And that's printed on the fabric before the garment's sewn together. So you're working with shirts that have already been sewn. Yes. You're just doing the printing yes. part of it. But for the dice bags, you're sewing those after yes. they're printed. Now that you've broken into the tabletop space and you're able to do kind of more of those things, would you say in this space that you are doing more commission work or are you doing more of your own designs and selling those through a storefront? We're definitely still doing more of our own designs. When COVID hit, we got very we got pretty quiet for a while because we didn't know where anything was going. And I had a really big ethical issue for quite a while going, hey, buy my dumb shirt because no one's making any money right now. And we, we both struggled with that for a while. So we actually turned our focus. We had in the beginning, there was no mask material and we had our dice bag prints. Well, it turns out that they're just the right size that if you fold them a few times and you can, you can insert a filter and they made masks. So we spent... The first two months of COVID, I think, just grinding out masks. And we had said that, like, because we're not professional mask makers. I don't, you know, I don't know anything about that. So we didn't want to take things away from people who were better qualified. So we explained very adamantly, hey, this is just the materials we have. And so that was the first couple of months of COVID for us was just doing those. So we kind of got off track doing our own designs for a while. Local work kind of kept us alive there for a while, but now we've come back. We're trying to get out at least two shirt designs a month and hopefully starting to expand the maps beyond just the one a month for our Patreon right now. That is a great transition point, actually. So tell me about your Patreon. Oh, okay. So back when we first got into printing, Elliot was like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we made maps like, you know, for dungeons and stuff? And I'm like, huh. And then that immediately got backburnered, but we got back to it. Um, and we had one that was just kind of a prototype when we went to our first pack South and we started showing it off the last day and people were like, Oh my God, where do I get this? And I'm like, well, what? 
so apparently they liked it like we were just were kind of feeling it out and they were like yes please and wrote their names down on papers and gave it to us okay so we started making these ttrpg maps and they are washable foldable 14 by 14 hand-drawn maps we do one a month right now on our patreon they're not really in a theme yet we're looking at different like uh multi-packs and possibly someday deep in the future a guided year-long campaign with accompanying maps things like that um but right now we're just doing a monthly map they're uh just a unique backdrop all the rules are made up right ttrpgs everyone gets so serious about oh well this the book says this. the book doesn't matter none of this matters everything is accumulation of the shared joy at this table so i don't want anyone to look at my map and be like oh well you can't be there because there's a snowdrift there <laughs> go ahead stand in the snowdrift no one's gonna stop you so what we're looking to do is just it kind of calls back to the notebook drawings we had as kids uh, because I, I don't I don't know how old you are, but I'm in my mid-30s. So we didn't have the fancy maps. We were drawing them in notebooks. And I've always wanted something that amplifies that old school vibe, but doesn't put restrictions on play. So that's kind of the idea behind the maps right now. That's really cool. And honestly, I really like the idea of it being companion to an adventure one day. Uh, yeah, I got to talk Elliot into it. Because it kind of, he said it one time and I'm like, fool, you should have never let me know that was cool. <laughs> But we'll get him. You know, without going like too far into specifics, just how much of your monthly business would you say your Patreon is able to contribute to? Um, it definitely doesn't make me sad. Um, <laughs> right now, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, so patrons back us. If you want a map, it's the first tier for that is ready for adventure and it's $10 a month. And that includes the shipping to get it to you. And a couple of other benefits. You get some discount on the website and digital maps when I get around to figuring out how to do it. But so like right now we have, we've doubled our backers in the last year. Uh, we're almost at 20, which I mean, it, you know, it's a slow growth, but we also did that during COVID and nobody can get together and play. So the idea that people would see this and go, yeah, the future's coming like that, that just blew me away. So while it hasn't grown as much as we had hoped, you know, if we had been doing conventions once a month and having new maps and you know, on and on and on getting them in front of more eyes would that way would have probably gone faster but the group we have there is so authentic and they're they're so genuinely into what we do that i don't know i'm just i'm so proud of what we have so far yeah and honestly being able to grow anything like patreon during covid or business at all in the last year is it's been a feat so <laughs> yeah i'm just i am in absolute and utter awe of the people who have come out to support us, whether it's with the shirts, the maps, all of it. I can barely talk our patrons into using their conveniently provided discount codes when they get shirts from us because like this community is so generous of spirit and their vote, like voting with your wallet is a vote of confidence too. So like whether or not people buy stuff from us or it's just like the retweets and shares and things like that, it, it just blows me away how people are willing to invest in me and Elliot and what we do. Yeah. This community is pretty great. I want to ask a little bit more about some of your processes, regardless of whether it's a t-shirt or you're making like the dice bags or the masks. When you have an idea for a new design, what process do you take from conception to getting it printed onto the fabric? Okay. First, you know, you make the art, which is essentially squeezing a stylus till your soul pours out and then staring at it till you hate it. <laughs> Once you sufficiently hate it, 
the screens are coated with a substrate called emulsion and it's photosensitive. So you, you coat the screens and you let them dry, print a transparency, like, you know, the overhead transparencies back in the day. Mm-hmm. You might not. I don't know. I do. Um, I do. I'm, old. I'm not that much okay. younger. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm old. I'm 30. Um, I'm 30. <laughs> okay. We're old. Okay. You know, on the internet, that's 9,000. We are piles of dust. <laughs> but so you take a transparency paper and you print the stencil image onto it for each color layer. Each layer gets its own screen. Since it's photosensitive, you put that transparency over the screen, expose it to light. Everything that isn't blacked out hardens and the rest washes out. And that's how your ink goes through the screen. Then you load the press up through different colors. You get all of the different screens aligned to each other, load them up with ink and you're ready to print. How long does that take? That process. So that's why most shops have minimum orders because the setup is so much of the process. It can take us. We, <laughs> I mentioned earlier, the retroscape shirt that we did the the art I did was very finicky and had a lot of fine details. And I want to say that took us five hours to align. And by us, I mean, Elliot and me standing there like a mutant, not knowing what to do, but no, it, so they can take a long time. Simple prints, like a couple of colors doesn't take too long you know, unless it's really elaborate, but everything, everything layers in this artwork. And sometimes you're printing with tiny dots that have to merge with other tiny dots. And other times you're printing big swaths of color that have to definitely not touch the one right next to it, unless there's a big brown streak in the middle. So it's definitely, you don't want to screw this up. So it, it takes a while. Yeah, that makes sense. So over the years, what would you say has been the most challenging part of starting or running print inkling oh man putting yourself out there i mean every everything's hard um <laughs> part of it is definitely putting yourself out there to let people know what you do that that for me as an introvert is just god awful just tell me what you want and i'll make it happen in this industry there's a lot of like i mean there's huge massive pieces of equipment so you have software and things like that that are meant for those people with those kind of budgets or here's this scrap piece of software do it yourself so a lot of it has been learning to adapt to things that you know are out there but are just out of your reach so that's been challenging learning to set boundaries we uh (laughs) it was i think it was two months ago we did the math and i had not taken a full day off since 2018 yeah and if you don't count day like i was counting days where we traveled for conventions But if we don't count those, yes, it was 2018. So we sat there and played Minecraft all day. It was great. But honestly, boundaries is a huge thing in starting a business because someone once said that uh, starting a business is like having a baby. And I don't have a baby. I have cats. But the first year of this business was utter chaos. It was jumping when someone screamed. It was changing things when they got wet. But now that it's a little bit older, I'm starting to, I don't always understand what's going on. Or what, you know, you can't always anticipate all the needs yet, but you've got a rhythm now and things are predictable and you know what, when something starts happening, you know what it means now as opposed to, oh God, research mode. You know, it, you build confidence as you go, but I, I don't know what it would be like to start a business fully assembled. (laughs) We've, to be quite honest, we've fought and scraped for everything we have. So I don't that's the only perspective I can give is from that position. And realistically, it's, it's knowing that you're just as valid as the guy out there with a $6,000 machine 
you know, or the $60,000 machine. If you have something to put out into the world, you have to figure out your way to do it. Yeah, you really, really do. So I want to flip it around. What would you say has been the best part? Doing it. Like I, man, doing it, making it happen. Like every day is the best part of this because like, like I said earlier, every part of this is hard, but I got to choose this. And so for me, obviously going to conventions and seeing people connect with your designs. We have a couple of designs that aren't really gaming. They're more kind of emotional things. Uh, One of them is Go Forth and it's kind of Banksy-esque and it's a child running and releasing balloons. It's actually the first design I ever did. And there's another one called Some of My Parts with a little junk robot made out of trash. And he's opening up his little barrel chest and there's a heart in there, all glowy. And both of those came from really hard places of depression. Like that first one with the balloons, I was like, no one's going to want to see what I can do. Nobody cares. Like, why am I thinking I can do this? And at every convention, everything we've ever done, someone stops and just starts telling a story. And they're just looking at it and they just tell me stuff that they probably don't want to tell me. And it's, it's just this magical, weird thing that I never thought a t-shirt would be capable of, frankly. But those connections, those moments, like like leading to hear someone relive something or talk about someone they've lost or things like that, all because of a thing that I did. Uh, that's pretty rad, too. I really hope that you get to go back to a convention soon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, honestly, like we don't have a very big audience outside of Twitter. And I mean, on Twitter, we're at, I think, somehow in the last year, We've somehow gotten to 1,700, which is, you know, it's not a checkmark account, but it, that's that's awesome. And we've, we've read a lot of advice on how to grow that. And I just, I don't care. I, I know people there. You know what I mean? Like, I, I could grow this faster, but why? I know the, like, I know so many people there and I, I respect them and they respect what we're doing. And I would rather have 2,000 people who give a shit than 100,000 who don't or only kind of do. You know, conventions will come back in some capacity. I don't know if it'll be as soon as we all hope. But you know what? We're all still going to be here. And if we can't have that experience in person, it's our job to create the things we need. Yeah. And honestly, when we do finally get to go back, think of how many new friends that you'll be able to meet in person. Okay. I'm... (laughs) I have... We need a system. You must wear your Twitter avatar (laughs) and your name. (laughs) Or you cannot hold me responsible because I love you. And we could have talked a thousand times. But if I'm out of context, it's going to take me a minute. We actually, um, the last convention we did right before COVID hit uh, was up in our hometown in Alaska. It was their first official con. And we did the, you know, the shirts for it, the whole nine. It was really fun. And a friend stops in to our booth and says, hi. Now, I have known this girl since uh, age five. And I mean, not, you know, not lost contact really or anything, but I was in convention mode, not Alaskan childhood mode. So I'm just looking at her like, how can I help you? <laughs> and she was like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, oh, hello. Like, Context is important. <laughs> I've loved you my whole life. It's, yeah, it's, it's really weird how you can just be in your zones. Yeah. Everybody just needs to have a little badge. With just like, this is their Twitter handle. This is their image. Uh, Here's the last four avatars <laughs> that you may have seen. Perfect. <laughs> Someone with better print skills than me get on that because we need <laughs> we need the, the rotating avatar badge. So just like a little slideshow. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Like, 
That'd be fantastic. <laughs> well, as we kind of wind down a little bit, do you have any kind of upcoming projects that you're willing to share that you're excited about? Honestly, we're really just focusing on trying to get back on pace. Um, we're going to try to start doing more with our Patreon, with uh, the Folded Lands maps. We're going to try to start doing some multi-packs, some bag realms, which are basically themed adventures in a dice bag that, that's matching. So it's all, uh, we have one on the website right now called First Winter. And um, you all have seen it because you love me. So we're, we're just looking at growing upon what we have. We're both serial hobbyists. So it's really easy for us to go, um, I want to go cast resin now. Well, okay, but why don't we focus on the platform we have before we jump off the next? So we'll get there too. But I think this year we're really just going to focus on um, bringing more of what people want. We've been asked like, well, you know, what new have you got coming? Like, yeah, drawn as fast as I can. Never mean to imply any pressure with that question. Just like, what's, oh yeah, like, no, what's no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Um, we just don't have anything... Like we've got some upcoming shirt releases we're hoping to have. I'm trying to focus more on collaborations with other artists this year. Um, I'd really like to, uh, we've reached out to a couple people about doing some limited edition tees and things like that. And I can't give any of that away yet. But so we have some things like that. But as far as you know, anything way outside of the box, I think we're just going to stay in our lane for a little bit and uh, see what we can do. Fair enough. Well, Rusty, thank you so much for coming on today. Where can people find you? You can find us um, on our website is printinkling.com slash shop. If uh, you're interested in our Patreon at all for monthly maps, uh, it's patreon.com slash printinkling. You can find us on the Twitters at printinkling. Well, thank you so much. We'll definitely have all of those up in the show notes. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode of Roll, Play, Grow. To check out the show notes, you can go to lightheartadventures.com slash RPG. To keep up with every episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave me a review. Reviews are one of the best ways to help a newer podcast get up off the ground. To follow me on Twitter, you can either find me at lightheartadv for our business account or at ketrawcr to see me tweet about other things like my dog and world of work. You can also find us as Lightheart Adventures on both Instagram and Patreon. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week on Role Play Grow.